You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, so we've been going through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're halfway through 12, and we've really sat on this for a couple weeks. So I want to open it up to any questions, because I've not done a very good job of that, because there has been so much to cover. So I wonder, as we're in 11 and 12, uh, or even before then, if, there's, if there are any questions about uh, this letter to the Hebrews. Yeah, so let's, let's remind. Remember we talked about... Um, Chapter 11, sorry, chapter 11 being, um, uh, yes, a, a hall of fame of faith, uh, but not so much as those great cloud of witnesses that are leaning over the ramparts of heaven cheering us on as much as they are their lives here on earth uh, demonstrating what it means to have faith in God, which is to take him at his word and to act accordingly and to build your life around his word. And so that's what all of the examples are about. Uh, Abraham uh, took God at his word, even to the point of taking Isaac uh, up on the mountain to sacrifice him, knowing that even God could raise him from the dead. Uh, Joshua uh, and the battle of Jericho. We talked about Rahab the prostitute uh, and, uh, and the list goes on. So uh, that's really what it means to have faith. And then we began to talk about what does it mean to encounter trial? We talked about that the Christian life uh, is a race that has been set before us by the Lord Jesus Christ and that often as the Greek word here used for race tells us that it's an agony. It's really hard. And there are times in our lives where we just want to give up. If you've ever run a long distance at all, uh, you get to the point where you just want to say, what does it matter? And just start walking. I mean, that's why those images of marathons, uh, especially, uh, I don't remember what it was, the, um, the image of the person that was nearing the finish line, and I think that they were a war veteran, and uh, somebody turned around and began to carry them with others across the line. Uh, we're inspired by that uh, and ought to be because that's what Hebrews is saying, uh, that the great need for the Christian life is perseverance, is endurance. And so he's encouraging the Hebrew Christians who are being really uh, pressed in upon by uh, the world around them and even within the life of their own congregation to revert back uh, to Judaism or to give the thing up altogether. So that's, that's where we are in Hebrews. And we talked about God actually using the trials to make us who we are, not getting through the tri trials and being who we are in spite of them, which is often a difficult thing to grapple with, to think that God actually is working through our trials. I guess I've always wondered kind of the mirror image of Jephthah. Mm -hmm. You know, I kept waiting for God to hold his hand back from sacrificing his daughter. And just <laughs> yeah, do you want me to talk? <laughs> that's, that's a great Bible story for VBS, David. Thank you. <laughs> so Jephthah makes an oath to the Lord and basically says, whatever comes out of my, my doorway next, I will sacrifice to you. And what comes out of his door is his daughter. Now, um, that story... Well, one, what I would say is that uh, I don't believe, I, I, where is that, David, since you brought it up? 
Mark, where's, where's Jephthah's the sacrifice of his daughter? Welcome back, by the way. <laughs> Just put him on the spot. Where's the sacrifice of his daughter, man? As he's, Mark's been in Scotland for basically the past eight years. King? Uh, judges or kings? I'm yeah, judges, I think. Anyway, I don't think that there's any indicator there that, that God actually is holding him to it. Uh, but the other thing, too, is that this, this propensity that we have, and we say it all the time, Lord, if you do this for me, then I'll do that. I mean, we do that all the time. Now, very few of us say, I'm going to sacrifice what's coming out the door next. Um, but that's more a reflection not of God's demands on Jephthah's life, but his irresponsibility and his faithlessness and his recklessness uh, as a believer as well as a father. And so the difference is, is that God never says to Jephthah, I want you to take your beloved daughter and sacrifice her and allows that to happen. It's the, it's the image of unfaithfulness. And have two months to think yeah, about. Yeah, it's the, it's the image of unfaithfulness. Uh, it's, it's putting God to the test uh, in a way that is, that is unfaithful. God, if you do this, then I will do this. Prove yourself and then I will follow you. Where the testimony of everybody in Hebrews chapter 11 is, I would rather go out into the unknown with God than to stay in the known with him, without him. There's a theory that uh, Jeff uh, actually, uh, his daughter, she asked for time to visit all of her girlfriends and all this sort of stuff, and that she was, didn't marry and was devoted to God. That was the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So she devoted herself or submitted to that? Right. That's right. God didn't require human sacrifices, but it wasn't uncommon in their world because the Canaanites did practice animals, um, children's sacrifices to Moloch. And in fact, you can go to Carthage today and see the furnace where they would throw their babies into the furnace in Carthage. On that light note. Let the games begin. Thanks, What's that? Let the games begin. Now, what are we talking about again? Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter, so here we are at Hebrews chapter 12. And I actually do want to piggyback on what we talked about last week before we get to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And look at chapter 12, verse 14. This is on page 1009 in your pew Bibles, and you'll find it helpful to be there. Verse 14 says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And the reason why I'm going back to this is I actually got two emails this week from people saying, what does that mean that no one can see God apart uh, from holiness? But... Uh, Commentators will tell you that it's at verse 14 where Paul, not Paul, but the author of Hebrews uh, begins to get into exhortation uh, of encouragement. He gets very practical at this point. Uh, but the theme is still the same if you continue to read on. And that theme is perseverance and an exhortation to go on in the Christian race. And this word that he begins with, strive or pursue, uh, is often used, is the word that is used in the New Testament for persecution. So when, when they talk about Saul going off to Damascus or his life given over leading up to his conversion to persecution, it's the same Greek word that is used here, which means to be single-minded 
which means to hound after something or someone, to persist in a course of action. And so the author here is calling us to bend all of our energies to this pursuit of peace and holiness. And of course, these two words, peace and holiness, talk about our duty to one another and our duty towards God. And they're representative of the two tables of the law. The first half of the Ten Commandments talk about our duty to one another, and, or rather to God, and the second half talk about our duty to one another. And here, the author of Hebrews is telling us that harmony and holiness mark the church. So when we look at a local body of believers, we ought to see harmony and holiness, or as the prayer book puts it, concord. Have you ever heard that prayer in morning prayer, uh, that, that we would be together in concord? And so the author is looking at the congregation here that he's writing to and saying these are two things that are not marking you out as a body of believers. And the thing is, is that they're always together. You can't have one without the other. If there is strife in the life of a congregation or even the life of a believer, it is a guarantee that there is unholiness in some part of their lives or in the relationships. So if there's not peace in a local congregation, it's almost always the result of sin. And it's often on, it may just be, it might be both of you, uh, it might be all of you, uh, it might be simply one of you who is causing the problems within the life of the church or in any kind of relationship. And in times of stress, one of the primary things that the devil will do is to seek to destroy a church, and a church is peace and harmony. And he does this by sowing seeds of dissension, tension, innuendo, and gossip. And we, we're the Christians are the best gossipers because we can say, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? No, I'm just telling you for prayer so that you can pray for them. But did you hear? And of course, it's a very evil thing. And I, I mentioned this last time, I wonder, uh, you know, when he talks about the grumbling that takes place in the life of Israel and the grumbling that's taking place in, uh, in the congregation here that he's addressing, that in the same way that Moses tried to speak a word of truth, uh, tried to stop the flow of the hearts of those who are grumbling in the wilderness, tried to give them perspective in the same way that this author is trying to do the same for these Hebrews, how effective that is. Because I think that in the life of the church, in the life of God's people, whether that be wandering in the wilderness or on the ground here in Birmingham, Alabama, that sometimes that word uh, from the pulpit or from the spiritual leader can have an impact, but the greater impact comes from the fellow Israelite, from the fellow Christian. And so I wonder what it would have been like in the Exodus with the Israelites as they're wandering around and one Israelite begins innocuously enough and says, remember those cucumbers? Remember those meat pots? Man, that was, that was pretty great. And you know, they probably just said, yes, yeah, that, I remember the cucumbers and meat pots, uh, yes. Rather than the Israelites saying, no, wait a minute. I, the I like a cucumber as much as the next guy. And I know that we're in a hard season. We're wandering around the wilderness. 
But do you really remember Egypt? Do you remember making bricks without straw? Do you remember the yoke of slavery around our necks by Pharaoh? Do you remember what just happened over at the Red Sea where his chariots were bearing down on us and God's faithfulness and taking us across on dry land? How he delivered us in the Passover? Have you, what do you mean cucumbers and meat pots? You're looking at it in a completely wrong way. But so often, actually I don't know that there's any record in the Exodus of any of the Israelites saying to the cucumber and meat pot people, You need to check yourself. You've got the wrong perspective in the same way that the author of Hebrews is saying to the Christian believers. You know, when you start grumbling and saying, you know, you know so-and-so, did you hear about that? Checking that person and saying, you're letting an evil thing creep into your own heart and in the life of the church. And rather than gossiping about them, have you reached out to them? Have you actually inquired and cared for them as a human being, body and soul? Have you spoken a word of of truth if it's needed in order to confront them? Have you spoken a word of healing and hope and love in the Lord Jesus Christ that will heal them? And the answer is typically no, which is why the author of Hebrews is saying what he's saying. Because we're all too reluctant to encourage one another on in the race that is set before us. And so when we see people struggle, as I've said before, uh, talking about uh, 1 Corinthians 10, that when we go through a struggle in life, we tend to remove ourselves from the Christian body. And that's what's happening here in Hebrews. They're backing off in such a way that they're trying to go it alone. But there's also something funny that happens on the church end of it. That when somebody falls into temptation or they're undergoing a great trial, the church tends to pull back from the individual as well. And so I have a friend who's a pastor in Scotland, and he said that the great uh, trial of his own life uh, was the loss of his brother when he was in his 20s. His brother had brought him to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had just been married for a few months, and he died. And it completely undid him. And so he began to become reclusive uh, and stayed away from believers. But what he noticed is that the members of the congregation that he was going to, they also pulled back from him. And years later, when he was finally in a place to ask the question, he asked them, why did you do that? You know, I understand that I pulled away, but when I needed you most, you were nowhere to be found. And the response amongst everybody he asked was, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And sometimes it's not even a matter of saying something, but simply being there. I see you, brother, and I'm here to help carry you across the finish line. Sister, you're grieving. I'm taking, look, here's what's going to happen. I've already set up a babysitter. We're getting our nails done Friday afternoon. That's that. But we don't do that. What we do in the South is that we say, well, we'll pray for you and maybe we'll get around to it. Or worse yet, what we'll say is, is, um, or uh, worse yet, we simply pull away and really don't have anything to say to anyone. And we'll even call the person, we may even get to the point where we call the person up and say, what can I do for you? Can I bring you some food? Bless you. Can Can I do, oh no, we're fine. 
The moment people begin to say, no, we're fine, or no, I'm fine, they're doing exactly what Hebrews is talking about. They're pulling away. And so the answer is not to shrug your shoulders and say, well, I guess they're okay. But whether they like it or not, you show up with the casserole. The worst thing that could possibly happen is they put it in the freezer. That's the worst case scenario. And isn't that true where we've been in a relationship with someone and, and then all of a sudden we realize, I haven't seen them in months. Well, I wonder what's happened to them. And we really don't pursue it. We don't follow it up. We don't, we don't seek that person out. When in fact what's happening is they're struggling in the race. And they want to give up. And their faith is becoming weary and faint-hearted. They may be developing a hardness of heart. And it may be that even a root of bitterness is taking root with inside their heart. And so it may be that the way that God does His work in the life of a Christian community we know is certainly through His Word, but you might be the vehicle for that Word. Which is why in Hebrews there's so much exhortation. And it's not a one and done thing. I think that's one of the hardest things about the Christian life is when you live in community with one another, you have to bear one another's burdens for a sustained amount of time. Just taking the casserole over is really great and lovely, uh, but it may take years. In fact, those of you who have experienced uh, a loss, uh, the death of a loved family member, that initial part is shock, but it's, it's months down the road where all of a sudden you hear a voice that sounds like theirs and you turn quickly. A, a smell or the sight of something that brings the reality of their former presence in your life flooding back. And so it's great that we show up after the person has died or in the midst of the trial or in the midst of the pressure. But the author of Hebrews is saying if we think that that's enough, uh, we're going to grow weary and faint-hearted and we're going to have brothers and sisters falling along the wayside in the race of life. And so what the Christian community looks like is to strive for peace with one another and for the holiness with which out no one will see the Lord. Because ultimately, if there's not peace in our lives, if we're not doing this, it actually is probably a spiritual condition in our own lives. It's actually a sign of a part of our lives uh, that maybe God hasn't touched yet. I mean, I know that I have dark, unevangelized continents in my heart. I mean, I always think of my heart in the same way that I think of my house. I mean, when you have people over to the house... Everybody has a no-go area in your house. It's a closet, it's the garage, it's the basement. Uh, it's a room where you say, oh yes, we're, we're redecorating, but that room's been that way since you moved in. And it's just sort of the catch-all. And the worst nightmare that you have is that someone walks into that area of your house. But it always happens, doesn't it, that somebody's looking for the restroom or something like that, and they open the door and they think, oh my... Everything else looks really great, but now I found the real you. 
And I've seen shows on, on, on TLC about you, hoarding. <laughs> Maybe an intervention is required. But, you know, that's what we do with God. When Jesus comes into our lives, we say, Jesus, in the living room. Jesus, I don't, I don't want to be in the living room. Well, of course, because you're, you're my personal Savior, you're my, you're my Savior, my Lord, but you're also my friend and brother, and so where you inevitably are going to end up is around the kitchen table, so please do come in the kitchen. I don't want to go to the kitchen. I want to go to the closets and basements and storage rooms of your heart. And that's where we'll put up the roadblocks. That's where we'll lock the doors. And sometimes God uses us to go into those places. And certainly when we're going into trial and temptation and the pressures of life are caving in on us, it leaves us completely and totally exposed. And whether we like it or not, those things that were once locked up come tumbling out onto the front stage for everybody to see. And what's the response of the believer? is the response of the believer to say, yikes, I'll pray for you, and walk out the door. Or is it to come, put your arm around them, pray with them, and then actually begin to stoop down and pick the pieces back up and put them where they need to be? That's what the author of Hebrews says. That's what's going on here. Now, after all of these exhortations, in the next seven minutes, we'll get to what we really were going to talk about today. This kingdom that cannot be shaken. He wants us to know, beginning in verse 18, in light of all of that, and all of the dangers and pitfalls of our lives, because the bottom line is that for many of us, we just hide our sin in a much more efficient way than other people. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure that, the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I mean, this is the image of Moses going up. We can't go up. You go up. We need someone to stand between us and this holy God. To even touch the mountain would cause death. I mean, this is you know, talking about the Lord coming back again, that there's going to come a day when the Lord comes back where people will actually pray that the mountains would fall on top of them. I would rather be crushed by these mountains by an avalanche of destruction than to stand before the living God, or as the author of Hebrews says, to fall into the hands of the living God. And there is a propensity when the sin of our lives is exposed is to begin to not only just pull ourselves away from the Christian community, but to pull ourselves away from God himself. And to think, I can't be near you. What would you want to do with me? I'm completely undone. But the author of Hebrews says, you've not come to that mountain. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are all enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see how he's wrapping it all up. 
Because before we got to chapter 11, we talked about 9 and 10 of Christ being the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. Not just the victim, but also the priest. That because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't come to the mountain with trembling. We come home to our loving God as his child. Because many of us do feel like the prodigal son. I'm nervous about going home. I'm anxious about turning to him. And yet what the author of Hebrews tells us is that every day God looks on the horizon for you. And when he sees that it's you, he hikes up his robes and makes a complete and total fool of himself and runs and embraces you. And while you're praying your rehearsed speech, Father, I've done you wrong. Would you please hire me as one of your hired hands? He won't let you finish, but says, bring a robe, bring sandals, bring the ring, the signet ring that indicates that this one who is wearing it belongs to me. And all the blessings and benefit that I have are now given to them as my child. For the blood of Abel that still screams out, and many of us still hear that screaming in our own ears. The author of Hebrews says, there is a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, so that you no longer hear the voice of judgment, but you hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, I make all things new. Know who you're dealing with in this Lord Jesus Christ. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. That is, are you rejecting him for the wrong reasons? Do you have a right idea of who you are and who the Lord Jesus Christ is? At that time his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What is he saying? When you're getting pressed in upon, what are you holding on to? Because a lot of us will begin to hold on to things that, guess what, are shakable. You know, in South Carolina, we would get hurricanes. And we'd be told, well, one, there are no basements in South Carolina because if you built a basement, you'd be under the water. Uh, but you'd go to a, a, a safe place, or even here with the tornadoes. I've, we actually looked at homes one time, and a couple of them had those underground bunkers uh, that sort of, in case of tornado or Soviet threat, go here. Right? Uh, you know, when you get into one of those, there's a sense in which, you know, you're safe. But you know what would really scare me? Being in an earthquake. I mean, I remember staying up late to watch the 1988 World Series when the Oakland Athletics were playing uh, the, um, uh, who were they playing? The Red Sox? No, they were, they were playing in San Francisco. Well, no, they were playing in Oakland, but who were they playing? The Giant. No. 
No. Who were, the, who were the athletics playing in the 1988 World Series? The Dodgers, maybe. It, it Was it the Giants? Did they even exist as a team? Give me a break, the Giants. Anyway, so if you remember, if you remember, there was an earthquake. Thank, I told you it was the Dodgers. I told you it was the Dodgers. It was the Dodgers. Because they were playing in Oakland, which all of you smart people know is just across the bay from San Francisco. Uh, but anyway, so there's an earthquake, and I remember all of a sudden the screen went blank. And I just, of course, am hitting the TV and wondering what in the world has happened. Uh, but when an earthquake comes, there's nowhere to go. I mean, you could try to hold on to something, but guess what? It's coming down too. All you can do is cry out for mercy. And so when the earthquake comes, as Hebrews is telling us, it's coming. When your world is caving in upon you, not just the judgment day, but your everyday life. Do you run to the ark of refuge and shelter Jesus Christ? Or are you holding on to things that are shakable? Because he's bringing you into a kingdom that is unshakable, that cannot be shaken. And as I said before, brothers and sisters, when the earthquakes come, often we can't get there on our own. We need Jose Canseco's to come into our lives and to scoop us up and to take us to safety. And as we're running with endurance, it may be as we run our race that we see brothers and sisters who are slipping and are growing weary and faint-hearted or hard-hearted or the root of bitterness is setting in. And our job is to urge them on and sometimes even help carry them into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us pray. God, you are so good to us. And Lord, even when life is pressing in upon us, we pray that we can pray like Job. Even though this body be destroyed, yet shall I see God. And I know that my Redeemer liveth. And so, Lord, we pray for those of us uh, who find life pressing in upon us, as Hebrews talks about this morning, that are growing weary and faint-hearted or hard-hearted or the root of bitterness is setting in. And Lord, those of us who are running with endurance would not leave our brothers and sisters by the wayside, but might actually be willing to help carry them and to encourage them on and to do the hard work that Hebrews is talking about here to say, brother, sister, come with me. Let us go on to this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Lord, we pray all of this for our good, but also for your great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.